Let's go, girls. From New York City to Los Angeles, Powered Up with Beck and Franklin is giving women of all ages permission to live the life they've always dreamed of. Why live in black and white when you can choose the brilliance of 3D and Technicolor? Each week, Sandra Beck and Linda Franklin and their high-powered guests will be here to cheer you on, to share their challenges, their successes, and what they've learned along the way. It's all about women supporting women. The stories and practical tips on sex, beauty, money, and so much more are designed to help you reconnect to the powerful woman you are. Fabulous knows no limits. Now it's time for you to expand your boundaries. Here are Sandra Beck and Linda Franklin. Hey, ladies, this is Sandra Beck, and I'm here with Linda Franklin, and this is Powered Up Talk Radio. And we're going to cover a lot of stuff today, Linda. We're going to visit with Randy McGee, and we're going to learn how to fall in love with our life again. That's always fun. And we're going to also talk about her healing journey. And, Linda, you know, as we've worked through uh, Michael Singer's book, The Untethered Soul, we've learned some great principles along the way. But one of the things that I found interesting is the the myriad in ways people heal themselves. You know, we've we've talked to psychics, we've talked to shamans, we've talked to healers, we've talked to energy workers, we've talked to light workers. There's so many different options today for people to go on their own healing journey. You know, I think of of uh, the Lady of the Rose Temple, uh, Lucia Weitzman, and how she she does her inspired writing. And today's guest talks about uh, breathing, like the, a breathwork facilitator. And I thought, this is so cool because, like, you just had a great massage. I just had some Reiki done. I've experienced lots of acupuncture in my days and clearing out my chakras or energy channels. There's just, it's just fun. I love all of it. Yeah, no, it, they're all they're all great modalities, and you just have to find the one that that works for you. Um, I, you know, for me, I think that the greatest healing I've had is from the untethered soul. You know, I keep going back to the book because there's nothing I've not found anything that, that's been a greater comfort than that. And it's so funny, you know, because we always talk a couple of shows ago. I guess on almost every show, <laughs> we talk about those voices in our heads. And what yeah. they're doing there and why they're there and everything. Well, it was really funny because on Saturday afternoon, I was uh, just cruising Netflix. And I came across this movie. I never heard of it before. And um, I started to watch it. It was a comedy. And it was about this couple. But the thing that was really interesting was that it was showing all the voices in their heads, but they were actually people, actors. So they were, he was there, and there was five others in his head, and then there was five other people in her head, and everybody sending a different signal. And one, you know, one, I think one is his mother, and one is, uh, is him as a little kid, and one is somebody else and somebody else, but it would, and they just wouldn't shut up. And so he was just sitting there on the couch with his girlfriend, and he just didn't know which way to go. And the same with her, because she's hearing all of the voices inside of her head. So it was, and it was a comedy, as I mean, it wasn't 
serious, but it is serious. And I, I just, I just couldn't believe that I, that I was watching that because it, you know, I had just been reading it in the book, and it was. It, when you see it like that, it's so real that you have all of these voices pushing and pulling at you all the time. Well, I, I don't know if you've seen the Disney kids film Inside Out, where each one of the characters plays the inside of this little girl. And, you know, there's the, you know, the girl who plays sadness and there's um, like Richard Kind is Bing Bong and Bill Hader is fear and Phyllis Smith is uh, sadness and Amy Poehler is, is joy. And if you, you know, haven't seen, it's a kid's movie, but it is so darn funny and it's so such a great way to teach kids the concept of that but I got a lot out of it as an adult it's the same kind of thing whereas you know your character had his thoughts um, you know portrayed by different people the Disney movie Inside Out had the feelings and emotions like joy, sadness, fear um, play her internal thoughts and you could see what yeah. was going on in the kid engine I mean it's it's amazing what goes on inside of us yeah, well, you know, I, I had I I keep changing my well. We we'll talked about it, and it's a psyche, uh, you know, trying to protect us because we know we don't real we know on a level that we don't have any control on the outside world, but this is saying we do have control of our inside world of of ourselves. So that's what it's always trying to do is, I mean, giving us 92,000 options of, of which way to go, which is the best way to protect ourselves so that we don't get hurt. And so, But to see uh, him walking down the street with these five beings following him, and that's what happens. How many times have you walked down the street? And sometimes, I mean, in New York it's dangerous because you can get hit by with either a skateboard, a roller, uh, a taxi, a, a people on their cell phone. You're, I'm not paying attention, you know, and I'm saying, oh, wake up, you know, because I'm so in my head that I'm not even paying attention to where I am or what I'm doing. And wow. So that was, it was really, it was just really interesting to, to see that portrayed like that because that's what happens. And then, so that, and then I was watching another program. I did, <laughs> there was, it's been, it was cold and rainy, so I did a lot of television watching. I've been do, I was watching this HBO series called um, Big Little Lies. And Reese Witherspoon is in it, and um, um, Nicole Kidman and several other people. And it, it portrayed these uh, three or four women and their husbands and their children in this town, you know, this well-to-do town in California. They're right on the ocean, and you know, they're all well-to-do, but everybody is hiding something. So what you see is is never, 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 never what you get. So one of them, you know, she, the husband was beating her up, and the other one had, you know, had been raped and and had had a son out of out of this 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 sexual rape, and you know another one. I mean, it, it was just, and it was only six episodes, so it it, it came very quickly um, to a, to a conclusion. But it just, you know, people are walking around and they they're they're, they're they're so full of shame that that word shame um, that anybody that anybody else is going to find out who they really are and and again all of these uh, things that we'll do all these walls that we build up so that that people won't find out who we are it's like it I mean everything that we're reading in the book is, is you know you, you go see a movie or you or watch television it's there 
Well, it is. And the book uh, Linda's talking about is Michael Singer's The Untethered Soul. I think it becomes even more interesting at the points at your life where you're in incredible personal pain or you're in incredible trauma or incredible, because that seems to rip down a lot of the barriers, a lot of the things that, that we've constructed in our lives, you know, where we can start seeing things more clearly, or we can start making some changes. Cause I think pain is a great catalyst to move us from one place to the other. Or it is, or age. I think age is another one. I think you get to a a point where you say, no, you know, I've done this before. I've seen the results. I'm not going to do this anymore. So I'm going to, I mean, understanding what you're doing is, is, and being conscious, we talk about that, is, is the first step. And then, okay, then what am I going to do about it? I know that I, this, this isn't working for me anymore, but what is, what is the, what is going to become the new normal? And, And, you know, and that's what the book, uh, you know, shows you how to, you know, kind of get out of your own way and start just living in the moment, enjoying your life. Um, and, you know, it, it's, it's just, um, it's a breath of fresh air. And when you, when you are conscious enough to start to practice some of these things, and, you know, you don't get it right all the time, but if you, if you just start to make these small little steps, it really makes such a difference. It does make a difference. It, it makes a great difference in in how we uh, live our lives. And I'd like to bring uh, Randy on. I'd like to have Randy uh, McGee join us. She's the author of Beverly Hills Concentration Camp, and you know it's such a cool title, and it it it. It, it, it evokes so much, especially for me who spent, you know, 15 years in Beverly Hills real estate to think that, you know, this this was happening right up the street from me is is really exciting. I'd like to invite Randy McGee to the show. Randy, are you with us? I am. Nice to be here. Nice to have you. So, so Linda and I talk a lot about the evolution of the soul and people's personal growth. And you've written a great book about, uh, loosely based on your own experiences and your own personal growth into the point of becoming a healer and a breathwork facilitator. Yes, um, I had a very rough uh, childhood li- living in Beverly Hills, which is uh, ironic. Um, I had the essence of the Holocaust of a concentration camp actually in my home because of the energies of my mother. And, um, and on the outside of my house was beautiful Beverly Hills. So I was sort of hiding everything that I was going through inside. And I held all that into my body um, for my whole life, even after I had my kids and until I had pain. And then I had to work on that and start healing. And I used many different methods, different therapies that were natural and alternative. And I healed myself and I helped other people heal themselves as I was on this journey. So I realized that I am supposed to be a healer and I love healing people and helping and being of service. Well, I think you're on the right show because that's what Linda and I, that's our mission, you know, is to to raise awareness, to talk about what we're going through, to talk with people and their experiences. Because, you know, whereas Linda has found this book to be moving and exciting and, and wonderful for her, I found it to be good for me. But I have other things because I'm a different person and Linda's a different person. And now we bring a third voice into the show about 
you know, we want to talk about some of the things that worked for you, especially because you've explored some of these alternative therapies and so willing to share your own personal story, which I think is amazing. I mean, Linda's wonderful in explaining, you know, what she's gone through. I explain what I've gone through. And I think as women, we learn through storytelling, um, the stories that we share, the stories that we've experienced, the experiences of friends, that's how we learn and grow. And when we know better, we do better. Now, uh, before before we go to commercial break, I'd like you guys to look up uh, Randy's book, and her name is spelled R-A-N-D-I, her last name Magid, M-A-G-G-I-D, Beverly Hills Concentration Camp, A Healing Journey and Memoir. The other book we mentioned was Michael Singer's The Untethered Soul. Great, great reads. When we come back from the break, we'll be visiting with Randy Magid. After these messages. Information about book publishing is power, the power to change your authoring life, and the power to change the lives of your readers. So join us for Your Guide to Book Publishing, everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask, with your host, Dr. Judith Bryles. Thursdays at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 Pacific, you'll hear about statistics, scenarios, and strategies on what to do now. As the book shepherd, Dr. Judith Bryles is in. And each week, she will include publishing professionals that will reveal tips and secrets to the author's journey. If there is a book in you, you want to listen, learn, and yes, call in with your questions each week. For more on Judith and what she can do for you, check out her website, thebookshepherd.com. It's your guide to book publishing. Everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask. Brought to you by Author You and The Book Shepherd with your host, Dr. Judith Bryles. Thursday evenings at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific. It's Marching offer wonderfully wild and wacky summer foods. From chicken fried bacon in Texas to Minnesota spaghetti and meatballs on a stick. There is something about dining at the fair that can make anyone an opsomaniac or a person who is driven to the point of madness by food. State fairs are famous for their loverwort or food with no nutritional value. The California State Fair boasts fried Krispy Kreme chicken sandwiches. That's fried chicken and Swiss cheese tucked into a Krispy Kreme donut served with a side of honey sauce at the iowa state fair you can enjoy a hot beef sundae that's a big scoop of mashed potatoes over roast beef covered with gravy sprinkled with cheddar cheese and garnished with a cherry tomato to look like a sundae what's another word for messy food ma wella it's marching I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app too funny for words We're back with Sandra Beck and Linda Franklin. Here's more Powered Up with Beck and Franklin. Hey, ladies, this is Sandra Beck, and I'm here with Linda Franklin and Randy McGee, and we're talking about the book Beverly Hills Concentration Camp today, and we're visiting with author Randy McGee, and I want to talk to you about the cover, because the, the painting is beautiful, or whatever, however you had the cover design, there's so much to look at, and for those of you playing along at home, Randy, your book is on Amazon? It is. 
Yes. Okay, so you guys can go to Amazon.com, type in Randy McGeed, R-A-N-D-I-M-A-G-G-I-D to take a look at this cover. It is one of the most beautiful pieces of cover art that I've seen, Randy, and I see a lot of books. I get publishers, you know, publicists, uh, book developers, book producers sending me all sorts of stuff. Tell us a little bit about what, what this is we're looking at on the cover. Well, while I was writing my book, I had a vision of a girl jumping through a tree and releasing her dark energy and going up into the light and having light come from her heart. And um, I met a woman in Sedona. Her name is Sherilyn, who paints uh, soul paintings. And as soon as I met her and I saw some of her work, I asked her to, to um, paint my cover. So I have the painting in my house and it's really the tree of life and there's a Merkuba inside which represents the male and the female. And it's really about going up into the light and letting go of all your darkness. And there's an owl on top, which is uh, he, it, for wisdom and to sort of oversee the mortal life and the spiritual life. And there's many, many layers. Many layers um, are, are painted over in this painting. So there's a lot of depth to it. Well, it's like one of those puzzle pictures you look at to find things. Because every time I look at it, I see something different. It reminds me of the lady in gold or the golden lady, uh, the painting in New York City, where you just, every time you look at it, you see something else, something more. Mm -hmm. There's a little hummingbird under her um, toe, if you can see it with the little purple. And hummingbirds sprinkle joy. So that's also part of it. That's wonderful. Now, in the lower corner, there seems to be, is that a clock or an obelisk? What's, what's in the lower corner in the green, like at the lower right-hand corner? That is her signature, and I believe that's a door. Like a okay. door. Yeah. Well, I think it's, it's beautiful. It's, it's really cool looking. Now, uh, for those who haven't, um, who haven't experienced your book yet, tell us a little bit about your story and how your book came to be. Well, um, I was walking on the beach one day and I just had the epiphany. I saw the book in my head and I knew it was a story I had to tell, a story that I didn't think anybody would believe. Because if you meet me, I seem like a very normal person who had a normal upbringing, if you meet me. Um, so I didn't think anyone would really believe it and I needed to write it down. And I also knew it would help people. It was just this one moment and that's where this started. I went home. And I started writing. So the stories, that, that, did they come through you or did they come from your experience? Uh, they came from my experience, but most of the stories in the book I did not remember. I started writing, and as I wrote, I started to remember more about my childhood. And I had many, many stories, and I put them all together and, and made the book. And the whole thing took me about six years. Wow. So one of the things that struck me, you know, as I read it was the the fear that was transmitted down from parent to child. And, you know, like my own uh, father and his his World War II experience and the depression and my mother, they were depression era. I was a late in life baby. They handed down a lot of money fears to me, never having enough money, not enough money, not enough money. And I, I know that's like one of the little voices in my head that, you know, Linda was talking about about in the opening segment of, you know, kind of these fears that we have, but these are very concrete fears handed down from Holocaust survivors to their child. I'd love for you to talk
talk a little bit about that because did you did you carry those fears with you into your marriage? Did you did you carry them into your own child raising? Like, and then what did you do with them? Well, um, in my house, I was always afraid because basically afraid to go outside. <laughs> my mother didn't want me to go outside because you know something might happen. So I, I always had to second guess if I should go anywhere, if I should go out with my friends, if I should do this or that or take a class. So I was afraid all the time, afraid of the police car going by in front of my house. Um, I just basically lived with it. I, when I was afraid, I, I held it in. I mean, that was part of what caused my pain later is, is holding all that fear in and just going out into the world and actually getting a job and working and becoming a normal person, trying to live outside my house, trying to live outside the concentration camp in a way. Um, and that fear did stay with me until I healed. I don't have that fear anymore. I did notice in my children who have a really, really privileged life, um, you know, that they had scary feelings every once in a while. And I tuned into that right away. And they started doing breath work um, which is a two-stage pranayama yoga breathing. And it started to release. Uh, I also did some NSA network spinal analysis with them, which is another type of energy work that has to do with the spine. So I did that just a few times, and that went away for them. It was gone. So I really do believe it does come through your DNA, through your lineage, um, and will go to your children if you don't take care of it. And I cleared it up and they're, they're fine now. They don't have those feelings anymore. So. Did you have any brothers and sisters growing up? I did. I had two brothers. Um, and did they have the same uh, reactions to what was going on in the house as you did? I believe they may have had it worse because they're older than me. We, they're much older than me, 11 and 14 years older. And uh. it was one of my brothers, the oldest one, um, had a nervous breakdown uh, when he was in college and he came home and I was a little girl about, I don't know, seven or eight. And, you know, he had this breakdown and he pretended that he was a, or not pretended, I think he really believed he was a Nazi soldier and he would yell and scream at me as though he were a soldier, and he would scream in German in the, in the night. So I, you know, I, I would run into my room, lock it, hide in the corner of my bed, and just, you know, roll up in a ball and, and wish I could fall asleep or wait for it to be over. So that was a huge part of my fear. And I know that he didn't mean to do it to me. I mean, I forgive him completely. He passed away now. But it did... It took me a lot of healing to get over even that one little scenario I'm talking about. So um, I do I do believe I released that. I don't see any signs of that sort of thing with my kids. I, I really think, um, you know, if you take care of things early with children and give them the right environment, they're not going to. Uh, yeah, early is early is the key. You know, yeah. um, and I, and of course, your 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 mom and your dad um, were they they were both survivors. Both of them. My father died yeah. when I was four, unfortunately. But yeah, 
Um, and your and your mother, um, she. I mean, obviously, she didn't mean to to bring all this fear in, but you know, she, she. That's just who she was. She did. You know, she didn't know that she was hurting her her children. No, she was raising me with the survival skills that she learned in the concentration camps. Um, yeah. Wow. So so she gave me a ton of food. I mean food everywhere. And what I mean it by that is there was so much of it. And, um, you know, I basically was a good girl if I ate a lot of food, not a good girl yeah. if I didn't. And well, um, that's the Jewish way. <laughs> that's not really the Jewish way, but it's, if you're a Holocaust survivor, you do it more. Yeah, it, it, yeah it's even yeah. more. Yeah. Um, so is she, still, got, is she still alive? She is. She's 90. She, she just got yeah, she just turned 90. And and then also there's, you know, clothing. She didn't um, give me clothes. I mean, I had one pair of 501 Levi's and maybe two shirts. And when you're living in Beverly Hills with, you know, going to school with people in designer clothes and, you know, you never see them wear the same thing twice, it, it may not seem like a big deal. But when you're a kid and you can only have one pair of pants, it's really it's really odd. And you wonder what is happening but to my mother, who, you know, had one little nightgown when she was, uh, you know, in, the, in, in Auschwitz, it, it was it's sort of like, OK, you've got clothes, you're good. You know, you, you have everything you need. That's a lot. So it was a lot to her. But to me, I had to try to balance, you know, living with that and, and going to school. So eventually yeah. I, I got a job <laughs> so that I got a job early. I lied about my age so that I could make enough money to buy some clothes. I wonder um, what the idea with the clothes were because you know you obviously you were in the, you know you, the money was there she she just didn't and, but and the you know the food was there but the clothes was was a whole different issue yeah no I mean gosh any any survivor that you know that went through that I mean I had a friend when I was growing up and and her parents were survivors too and I, yeah there's there's got to be a lot of psychological uh, psychological damage that you pass on to your kids because life was just so damn hard. Right. I mean, unbelievably, you know, I mean, horrific. I mean, we couldn't, I don't, you know, I can't even imagine it. We've seen it in movies and TV, but, you know, we, you know, unless you were there, I, I don't think you, you could even, even realize how, how horrific it was. Mm -hmm. and, and really no yeah. one around knew, none of my, none of the neighbors, now that they read the book, they say, oh, I'm so sorry. But, you know, there's no way they could have known because... My mother told me we don't we don't share our problems with it, with anyone else. There are problems, so we have to deal right. with them. Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So uh, that there so that means there was no you know the, you know a, a psychologist or anything that was out of the question because oh, yeah. you, you you don't you don't you don't share your problems with anybody. You you just suffer in silence. Right. Yeah. And my brother, it's interesting, too, is that, you know, they did get what they needed. They got the clothes or whatever they wanted, the cars. I, you know, it, for me, I, th I think it's because I'm a girl and, you know, girls were not considered as important as men yeah. in a lot yeah. of cultures and a lot of scenarios. But in this one, especially, um, it was like that, too, because I'm sure in the camps she was treated worse yeah. because she was a woman, too. 
So you know what, well, I'm now that take we have to commercial break, uh, we're visiting today with Randy McGee. The book is Beverly Hills Concentration Camp, a healing journey and memoir. Check it out on Amazon. We're going to be back with Randy and Linda after the break to talk more about the state of women. What happens when you come from an abusive household and the abuse is handed down from history? We'll be back after the break. Have you heard? The pages of American Patchwork and Quilting magazine come to life on our new weekly online radio show, American Patchwork and Quilting. Join Pat Sloan, our blogging and quilt designer host, as she talks about the latest trends, ideas, and inspirations. Her guests include quilt pattern designers, authors, quilt shop owners, and our editors, all quilters just like you. Call in with your questions. Get quilting tips from industry experts. Learn about free patterns. Hear behind-the-scenes stories from our magazines, American Patchwork and Quilting, Quilt Sampler, and Quilts and More. Get the scoop on free stuff and find out more about the best independent quilt shops in North America. To listen to a live show, tune in Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern. Just log on to allpeoplequilt.com radio. To hear past shows, go to iTunes and search for American Patchwork and Quilting Radio. We hope you'll join us because we know that quilting changes everything. I always get a kick out of the warning labels companies attach to prevent lawsuits from the hooky crooky of this world. A warning label on a dishwasher cautioned not to put any person in the unit. Speaking of dishwashers, one product warning on a television remote control read, not dishwasher safe. That's too bad because we know how dirty the remote control gets. In fact, we press the buttons even harder when we know the battery is dead. What are we, part of the ridiculati? A warning on a baby stroller read, remove child before folding. Here's one for the blunderbusses and poppin' jays among us. A label on a letter opener read, safety goggles recommended. Call me snarky, but any society that needs this many disclaimers has too many lawyers, pedophagers, and snollygosters. It's words you never heard. I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. We're back with Sandra Beck and Linda Franklin. Here's more Powered Up with Beck and Franklin. Hey, ladies, this is Sandra Beck, and I'm here with Linda Franklin, and we're visiting today with Randy McGeed. And, you know, Randy, you said something very interesting that resonated a lot with me in uh, the earlier segment. You talked about your mother taught you the survival skills that she learned in the camps. And, you know, you're a mother, I'm a mother, and we know that we can only teach our kids what we know. You know, I know that I teach my kids things that are seemingly ridiculous today with the abundance of food, with the abundance of, of, of everything we have here in the United States. And I, I try not to pass on to them a scarcity mentality, but, you know, it's hard when you had, you've had parents. In my case, I had a mother who, who had to survive her own issues and, and survive things. And, you know, she always had food in her pantry and uh, excess was not welcomed. And, um, but I didn't find anything about my mom's life 
until I was 30. And then a lot of things came out, very traumatic, very hurtful, very painful, very agonizing things, like when I look back now. But as a kid, we just thought mom was weird. We just thought, like, you know, mom mom had hang-ups or mom had, had these things. And it wasn't until I was 30 that I learned my mother's history. And it was only until I had my own kids that a lot of stuff started making sense. Did you find that for you? Well, my whole childhood, my mother never discussed the war, ever. She never talked about what happened. She was very silent in general. So the only thing she really talked to me about was food, uh, believe it or not. There was nothing, uh, and maybe how was your day, but nothing beyond that. It was just really food focused and she was very silent. So I didn't really get much mothering. So really I feel in a way that I raised myself and I used other people's families as role models. And I had great role models because I was in this, you know, beautiful affluent area and hanging out with other people's families a lot. And I saw what normal was, or I saw what maybe even better than normal might be. So, um, yeah, so um, I felt... Well, it's interesting that you bring up food because one of the things, and my mom has passed on now, but one of the things that like always makes us smile in her memory was she would never... Nobody could ever leave our house without leaving with some food. You know, she'd make somebody a sandwich. Even if you're going down the street, you know, you're everybody had to leave with something. And food was such a big gift in our household. It was such mm-hmm. a big... Um, to have enough to eat, you know, my mother would, would, would share with me as she got older, you know, how she was, she just never wanted to be hungry. She never wanted to be cold, you know, things like that, that, that really shaped her existence. And, you know, we would laugh, kind of make fun of her, laugh at her as kids going, you know, mom, not everybody needs a sandwich when they go. But to her, that was, that was highly symbolic of love and care and giving everything that you had was kind of wrapped up in this, turkey sandwich. Yeah, exactly. Yes, I know that feeling. Um, All the neighbors would come to our house and my mom had, you know, the cakes on the table. Every morning she went to Benish's Bakery on Third Street and brought back all these danishes. And um, she would have all the cold cuts from the deli and big spreads for anyone who came over. And everyone had to sit down and eat. You know, if it was the roofer or the plumber, they came in. (laughs) (laughs) They all came in. And, um, it was an interesting dichotomy to have all that happen and know that when these people left my house, there I was back in there alone with everybody again. And a thing that my mom did, which is so opposite of that generosity in a way, it was making me watch this TV show called Worlds at War every day when I came home from school. So I was basically watching, you know, bodies being mowed into a ditch or bulldozed into a ditch. And I did not know what I was looking at for a long time. I I just didn't know why she kept watching that. You know, I had to sort of piece it together later. So um, I was very, you know, I I think my mother was trying to maybe find someone she knew when she was watching those shows or or somehow it, it gave her some kind of weird comfort. But I had to, you know, watch that. And then I'd go in the kitchen and I'd have, you know, the best chocolate seven layer cake that anybody could have. So it was a a very interesting um, set of events. And I actually did not know 
that what my mother went through until later in life uh, when she finally decided to let my husband and I film her. You know, he has a, a video camera, he has a degree in film and television, and he he filmed us. And I just made up a lot of questions. He made up questions, and we just kept asking her. And so we have some video of her telling us what happened. And of course, we don't know everything because I think she blocked a lot out because, you know, so many things she was a little confused about or couldn't actually remember. So as you went on in your life now, um, so you took, you said you, you left and you, you got a job um, when you were pretty young just to get out of the house. Mm-hmm. And, you, and you, went to, you went to school, right? You went to college? Uh, well, when I was in high school, I, when I was 15 and a half, I went and I got a job um, uh, okay. in, in Century City. So that I, um, I know at that time they didn't really check. I think you had to be 16 years old. But I worked in a clothing store and I, <laughs> I, helped, I helped sell clothes. That is ironic. <laughs> I worked in a clothing store and I helped sell clothes and I, I made a living. I made my little check. Um, not a living, but I made my, my money. And after that, I would go to the gym. There was a gym on my way home. So I would have more hours away from home. And I looked good because I was working out. And then I would go home. And when I went home, I would really tiptoe into my house because I was really afraid of my oldest brother, the one that um, yelled like a joke. He was very terrifying to me. He was about 250 pounds. And, you know, I was afraid that whenever he would hear me, he would come running in and screaming at me. And I always was living in fear that he would kill me. It never got to that, but I was always afraid of it. So then, so, so, so I, I just want to move forward just a little bit to, you know, so then you, you went to college and you, you obviously, then you got married and you had, what, what was the thing, what was the tipping point? Because you were carrying, you hadn't let any of this go, so you're carrying, you may, you be out, you might have been out of the house and you might have been doing different things and you might have been a wife and a mother, but all of this is still bottled up inside of you. So what was the tipping point? When did, when did you say, oh my God. I, I got to do something about this. Um, I was driving with my family in the car toward my mother's house, you know, for a visit. We were listening to the radio, and I just happened to turn my head left, and I felt something funny in my neck. And then it went away. It was a little sore. I didn't think anything of it, and I woke up the next morning with my left ear stuck to my left shoulder. And I had, was unable to move my left arm more than about a quarter of an inch. And I thought I was going to be an invalid. I didn't know what to do. Um, doctors that I went to said I had to have surgery. One doctor said um, if I didn't have surgery within a week, I would lose all the feeling in my left arm. So something told me, you know, my higher power told me this wasn't the way to go, that I have to find another way. And I did have to take a little bit of Vicodin because my disc in my neck was on my nerve. So it was, mm-hmm. it was really painful. Um, so I went on a path to heal myself. I just um, tried everything that came my way that I would never have done before, that I never really believed in. Um, corrective chiropractor. I did some uh, network spinal analysis, uh, which is energy work that helps uh, release tension from the spine. And that, and that also with breath work um, helped me release the traumas and bring back the memories. So I tried many different modalities, 
but those are the things that work the best for me. So what I really recommend is that people try anything, you know, that, that might call them because you never know what's going to work for you. But, but did you realize when you had that episode, did they ever diagnose to what it actually was? Or, um, or I, well, I guess there's a spiritual diagnosis and a medical diagnosis. <laughs> the medical diagnosis was that my disc was hitting my nerve. The spiritual diagnosis is that I was holding in so much trauma that I actually affected my neck. You know, that I, that I had so much in my body that had to come out. And, and the interesting thing is it worked. I mean, I, I've released so much. I still do breath work every day. Now I'm, I'm doing more shamanic chanting and some other things. I've added more to my ritual and writing really helps. Um, and I released everything and, and I feel better every single day. I mean, I just keep getting better. And um, it's amazing. And my neck healed. You know, it's like, it's like yeah. my, your, your inner guidance just taking over at some point. Yeah. Uh, and, did, did, yeah. You, did, you, did you share this with your, with your mother ever? No. She, I, I, she no. wouldn't understand. <laughs> she, she would not understand it. I mean, she knew what, that I was in pain, but she didn't know anything else. Wouldn't it be great if she could release some of her fear before before the before she trans you know transit to the to the next uh, dimension? That would really and be a blessing, wouldn't it? It would, and I believe that doing the video with her helped her because she did get a lot out. She had to remember Good. things. Yeah, I know that it helped her. It's a lot. It's a lot. <laughs> It is it's a lot, yeah, but you know, I, you know, I think this is so important that we talk about these things because there are similarities of children of, especially mothers who've experienced trauma, and how they they hand that down to their children because it's all they know. It's true, and so many people, you know, you don't have to be Jewish have these traumas. You know, the, you know, the Armenian people have a lot of carry a lot of trauma. I mean, the Irish, everybody's got something and really all these healing methods can help everybody. And, you know, there's so many things in my book that, that actually pertain to so many different people. It's not just, um, you know, Jews basically. So. Right. I mean, it's any, anybody, especially from that depression era parents, I mean, you know, um, there's a lot. Mm -hmm. Look at the fears people are experiencing now because of because of our our new president. You know the Mexicans. You know the, any, anybody Muslim. I mean, you know people are walking around in in constant fear now. Right. So yes, they've got to find a release for it because it, it'll kill you. Okay, we're talking today with Randy McGee, Alinda Franklin, and Sandra Beck of Powered Up Talk Radio. When we come back from the break, we're going to talk a little bit more with Randy about what can we do with our fear. She's an expert at dealing with fear, clearly. We'll be back with her more after the break. We've got lots more Powered Up with Sandra Beck and Linda Franklin after these messages. The League of Women Voters reminds you that on Election Day, we are all equal. 
Please join your friends and neighbors by registering to vote and going to the polls November 8th. Visit www.vote411.org to find out who will be on your ballot and how the voting process works in your community. This election is about our future, and we all need to weigh in. official 4th of July party was held at the White House in 1801. But did you know that countries other than the U.S. celebrate American Independence Day or July 4th? Denmark, Italy, Portugal, and England all have 4th of July parties. In fact, the British celebrate their independence with bungers and fizz gigs, otherwise known as firecrackers, just like in America. Squib is slang for an electric match used in pyrotechnics. Our dog celebrates July 4th every year the same way, by cowering under the bed. Many European celebrations take place, of course, at American military bases. I'd like to send a special thanks to all our armed forces stationed around the world for everything you do to provide freedom and independence to America. It's marching day. I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words-you-never-heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. We're back with Sandra Beck and Linda Franklin. Here's more Powered Up with Beck and Franklin. Hey, ladies, this is Sandra Beck, and I'm here with Linda Franklin, and we're visiting with Randy McGee. Her book is Beverly Hills Concentration Camp. We've talked a lot about her history and her book. You're going to love it. You're going to be glad you read it. Uh, this is the part of our show where we talk about solutions. We talk about things that we can do. And many people have shared their fears with their children unintentionally and that doesn't change the fact that as children, we receive things from our parents and we need to be the generation that stops this um, fear from being handed down like, you know, uh, uh, a family heirloom. We want our family heirlooms to be lamps and tables and chairs and necklaces and, and <laughs> not our fears and, and negative experiences. So, Randy, you help people um, in these these um, experiences, help them move through the fear and let it go so that we don't have to transmute them down to our children and it doesn't have to hand down generation to generation. Can you walk us through what you do or what you teach and what that looks like for our listeners so that we can we can learn along with you? Sure. Um, well, I would say that when you are afraid, you need to realize, do I want to stay here or do I want to move on? So, you know, the fear sort of stabilizes you at the same place. So I say, push through that fear, you know, get to the point where you can actually ride the wave of fear to get to the other side of it. Because once you get to the other side of it, it's great. It's just a matter of, you know, getting to that place. So I help people get to that place. And um, another way is immediately go to love. If you feel fear, you go to love, you, you mix a little love in whatever is going on. If you're having um, a bad thought, if you are not getting along with someone, mix some love into that. Send them love. If you send them love, everything gets better for you too. So I would say I do that. And then the breath work. Um, it is a two-stage pranayama yoga breathing that 
completely changed my life. You breathe into your stomach, into your upper chest, and then you let it go. And it's a meditation. So it sounds like, (sighs) and you have your eyes closed and your mouth open. You have your mouth open so that you can get out of your head. And you basically relax. And um, I usually play interesting music that intuitively comes to me that actually uh, triggers people. So the the people will breathe and they'll move energy and they'll open their chakras. And um, it's a beautiful thing that happens to people. Uh, they move to the a next place. It's, it's, everyone is always different once they do the breathing. Even, even one time will change your life. It will change your cells. So if you keep doing it every day, you can see amazing results. So that's part of what I do. Um, and I would say that writing is also a big part of it. If It doesn't have to be writing. It can be painting. It can be pottery. Any kind of creativity will help you kind of move through the fear and, you know, express yourself. Because as you express yourself, you're releasing the fear. And um, that's what I would suggest. Those are the things that I do. And also for my children, I say the same thing. I, you know, I... I encourage them to to speak up when they have a problem. We we do have dinner together as often as possible, and um, it's really wonderful to uh, see that they have their own tools and their own little toolbox of skills. They can say, "Mom, I'm a little. I've got a test tomorrow. Can we breathe tonight?" You know, it's it's such a good. Yeah thing to do instead of thinking that, uh, you know, I have to have a drink or I have, you know, something negative or not that drinking isn't always negative, but instead of choosing some sort of chemical, they're choosing their breath of their life. So, um, their life force and they're just making themselves stronger. No, I mean, that's, that's fantastic because I mean, it, it, it bonds you to your kids and, and you're giving them some, some tools that they can take with them, you know, for their whole life because, you know, fear is going to be there. You know, we have no control of what's going to come at us. We only have control of what we're going to do when it does, right? So if we right. have these this this toolbox of of different things to 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 take care of it, um, it's a it's a real gift. Yes, it is, and, and it you know when you're you closer, it does bring us. We're very close, and also you know when you get to a certain point of your healing where you're really moving and you really feel better and you've released so much, there's a a, a shift that happens where you really want to make a difference in the world. And that's what happened with me. And I know it's happened with a lot of my friends as well. You just want to help people. You want to make a difference. You see where there's a problem and you want to go and help. So it's it's almost as though, you know, you were put into this horrible situation so that you could break through it so that you could be a compassionate person. Yeah, but you know the but the, the bottom line is that you know you're you're gonna you're gonna be able to enjoy your life and and that's what you know that's what it's all about and that's what you know this show is all about giving people different ways so that they can break out of the own their own prison that they've created for themselves and go out and and enjoy life. Um, you know, I believe heaven on earth and and we can have it if we just can you know get inside and sort of clean out a lot of the the, the other stuff. Right. And it's amazing how much lighter your body feels when you've released things. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, 
And absolutely. Just, yeah. So, Sandra, uh, are you there or or no? I think we lost Sandra. <laughs> you know, she lives she lives in California as well, and she lives in a canyon. And her reception uh, sometimes is really good, and sometimes we lose her in the middle of a show. So um, I think this is one of those days. I know. It's, can yep. you hear me now? Yes, I can hear you now. Yes. Yeah, I don't know if anybody you sound like can the hear commercial. Me. Oh, can you. you hear me now? There, I'm back. <laughs> okay. Can you hear me now? Um, yes. Yeah. Well, I think it's 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 um, you know it's it's vital that we release these fears because they make us sick. They they adjust our behavior and they can take control over our lives if we don't like you know they're like horses that run away wild and they drag us along with it with it um and we don't even know half the time how fear-based we've become it's interesting and i can actually meet a person i can see exactly where they're holding that fear in their body (laughs) and um i i could help them just open that up and you know it's a matter of maybe being ready for something like this and being ready for a change i think i think the people that really want to change and really want to move forward, will try alternative um, healing. And, and there are some people that are, are still too afraid to move forward, but hopefully everybody will take a step. Well, it is, it, you know, taking that first step, I think, you know, being aware of it is, is, is half the battle because you can know something is wrong, but not put your finger on it. Right. And do you find that during the breath work that some of these answers start to come out? Like, is this, does this open up, um, you know, like, does this open up things in people that, that have been closed off? It does. Um, You know, sometimes people have epiphanies and they'll actually change their job and and have a better life. Some people, and and actually with most people, you do have to see your trauma again for a minute. You know, you have to release, in order to release it, you need to see it. So you really have to be brave and courageous, but you know, that second or so that you see it again is worth it because the rest, you're talking about the rest of your life. You're talking about feeling good and being happy for the rest of your life and not passing on that trauma to your kids. And, you know, you're not carrying it anymore. So I, I do see it all the time. I see people going into all sorts of different places. It's just, it depends on the person. And every single time you do it, it's different. It's always a different experience. How do you, so, how do you protect yourself from taking on some of the things that they're releasing? I do a lot of protective practices every day. Yeah. Sometimes yeah. I do absorb people's stuff. And I feel it, you know, after a while I could, I say to myself, oh, this isn't me. And I, I go down to the beach and I do meditation and, um, and I do chanting until I release it. Um, okay. I wear a lot of protective stones and I really, I surround myself with, you know, spiritual light. And I, I really don't, um, take it on for long if I end up taking anything on. So it's just a matter of becoming more powerful and good at what you do. And, and I step back. I try not to actually get too close to someone's space. You know, I can step back and yeah. still help from two feet back instead of right on them, you know, right. So, um, I, I, I'm good at, at not taking it on now. Well, it you know, even, 
letting go is the answer and 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 we have to first of all we have to recognize what it is we want to let go and then be courageous enough to 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 look like as you said look at it and then let it go because once you let it go um and stand back and just watch it leave um you you're a winner i mean you know that 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 part is gone and now you've got room for some from some really good stuff in the moment Exactly. And sometimes you don't even know where you're going to go. <laughs> I didn't know, yeah. you know, that I was going to write a book. I didn't know I'd be on this radio show with you, you know, and it, so things just keep coming that are really nice. Yeah. And uh, yeah, no, and you when don't you're open. Pain, when you're open and you don't have pain, it's, it's more about navigating the good things that are coming as opposed to hiding in your fear. So um, it's just it's beautiful. Excuse me. Absolutely. So maybe maybe we'll do some breathing this week, uh, Sandra. <laughs> I think so. I mean, I, I just think that there's so many opportunities out there for healing, whether it's journaling, therapy, Reiki, massage, acupuncture, um, you know, this what is what kind of breathing? It's just called breath work. I, it's called breath work. It's an ancient pranayama yoga breathing. Got it. Got it. So you can add yoga. I mean, there's so many opportunities for these healing modalities. Acupuncture. Am I missing any? Um, I, network spinal, spinal analysis is amazing. Uh, it's by Donnie Epstein, and um, I would suggest people look that up <laughs> also. That's another awesome. thing I do. Yeah. And tapping. I, tapping. I've heard about tapping. Um, the tapping. I've done the tapping, and um, for me... The tapping gets rid of the emotional trigger. So you might have a bad memory, but you, you still remember it, but you don't have the emotional trigger that makes you feel sad anymore. So That's I amazing. recommend EFT. Um, and if you guys ever want to get on Skype with me, I could walk you through the, uh, do a breathwork session, <laughs> you know, have you guys. That would be very cool. Okay. Our guest today has been our guest today has been uh, Randy McGee. You're going to want to get a copy of her book, Beverly Hills Concentration Camp. I encourage you guys to go on your own healing journey and to check out the cover. The cover is spectacular. It's one of the most beautiful uh, pieces of cover art I've ever seen. We'll be back again next week uh, with another episode of Powered Up Talk Radio. On behalf of Linda Franklin, Randy McGee, and myself, have a wonderful week. We're so glad you joined us for Powered Up with Beck and Franklin. Sandra Beck, Los Angeles-based single mother and technology company owner, knows what it's like to be fit, funny, and fantastic in your 40s. Linda Franklin, a New Yorker with a successful marriage and pre-